and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Kyle Mann from The Ringer is here. You know his voice, his dulcet, <laughs> glorious voice from videos over at The Ringer, breaking down basketball, breaking down young players. And today, we're going to talk about the rookie class in the NBA. Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well, you know. I'm uh, as well as you can. If I feel like life's kind of getting there's there's positivity in the air, you know. I don't know what the weather's like down in Australia right now, but it's getting warm. It's getting that nice. You're an Ohio guy, right? I feel like that's uh, yeah. Is that I, right? I, I went to Ohio State. I'm from Pittsburgh originally, so I, I know mm-hmm. I know of what you speak when it comes to that springtime, that uh, that change in the season. It's green. It just smells good. It's actually it's Derby weekend here, which is like there's just a good vibe in the air in the air here when uh, when all that's going on. So I'm great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, as we speak, by the way, Amani Bates is decommitted from Michigan State. So uh, oh, what a heartbreaker! What a yeah. what a stunner, guys! Uh, <laughs> oh my God, this is huge news. Unbelievable. I'm blindsided by this. Yeah, Imani Bates may not be going to college basketball. What a what a world do we live in now? Oh my God! Um, yeah, Imani Bates is going pro. Uh, that seems like it's been the likely track for many years now. Uh, do you have Do you have any like ten second take on Imani Bates or like a minute take on Imani? I don't know if I have like a hot take. I mean, he's he's been on the track to go pro since he was like 14, right? I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure our mutual friend Kyle Tucker wrote an article about that very thing, that they yep. thought that he would be the first guy to burst through the, the double draft uh, opening. But uh, is that even going to happen the way they expect it to? It doesn't seem like it's going to. No, I don't think that a double draft is going to be a thing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it seems like, the league right now is pretty happy with the G League situation and, you know, giving players more options. We've also got Overtime Elite now. Um, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Remember, a- NBA teams don't really want to have to draft players out of high school because they don't want to develop them on their own dime and they don't want to make the mistakes that come with evaluating uh, kids against high school basketball players. Makes sense. It's risky, risky business. It makes more sense. You know, they're just zeroing in on better, a higher level of certainty and who wouldn't want to do that with the level of investment that these teams are making. I mean, it makes, makes sense on this level. I mean, what do you, what do you think about overtime that league? Do you think that that's, I'm pretty skeptical of that one. Pretty dubious of that one. I am also pretty skeptical. I mean, if it's on the continuum from G league ignite to the big baller league, uh, I, I would say it's probably somewhere in the middle of that <laughs> yeah. um I, I have more faith in it than i did lavar ball running the show with the big baller league i have much less faith in it being useful than the g league ignite program and frankly I, I would actually have it below these kids coming over here to australia and the nbl given that uh this program over here is actually like pretty good and is in a real place that 
really helps foster development uh, for kids. Mm-hmm. Like they, they really focus on it in a really positive way, and they set these kids up for success off the court as well. Um, just in the way that uh, you know they get they give them housing, they put them um, just in a, in a in a spot where they don't have to worry about like off court shit um, as much, which is really helpful, I think. Yeah. Do you, do you see that pipeline continuing? Because I, you don't hear as much. It, it almost seems like, you know, G League has yeah. taken a bite out of that. You know, I, I, where do you see that going? Sorry, I'm, Ben Taylor always gets mad at me for doing this, but I'm interviewing you now. But I'm curious no, please. what you think about this. Uh, I'm in on it. <laughs> uh, so I, I would say that... I mean, look, we're going to get another first round pick this year out of the Next Stars program in Australia with Josh Giddy. Uh, so oh, yeah. that's going to be what three out of four years in a row with the Terrence Ferguson year as well. And then the uh, year where they didn't get it was the Brian Bowen year. Uh, I think that it will probably become more of an option for international prospects as opposed to American prospects. Uh, just having kind of talked to some teams around here, I think that. There are uh, there's a bit more interest from international prospects than American prospects right now. It also wouldn't surprise me if the NBL chased some guys that were kind of up in the air about going pro from college basketball, um, more borderline prospects, and then uh, wanted to go pro, didn't really want to go back to college, but know that they're not ready for the NBA. Wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if someone like that. Uh, made the move. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about recruiting. We're here to talk about the rookie class in the NBA. And what have you thought of this rookie class? I mean, you've done as much work pre-draft as as anyone, including myself. You, you knew what these kids were like going into the year. What were your thoughts about the way that this class kind of shook out uh, in the draft? And then what were your thoughts about the way this was going to head and the way that this has headed uh, so far this season? I think that we suffered a little bit from having too much time on our hands. It was a combination of us having too much time on our hands and then also not having the level of like what I call context changers at the top. There weren't as many of those. But, you know, in a a given year, if you have like two or three context changing level players, what I I mean is, you know, like potentially max, potentially heavy load, efficient score types, stars, all stars like and I, I think that. The lack of those players perceivably going into the draft, I think, had people just down on it a little more down on it than 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 they should have been. Uh, and then once I don't, I don't think it took very long at all to uh, to realize. You know, you know, honestly, I'll, I'll walk that back a little bit because once I started to look at um, when I was just reviewing the draft after it was over, I specifically remember kind of going line by line and thinking like, I'm not mad about any of these picks i'm not you know i just found myself over and over i was like am i being overly optimistic am i being too positive about this because i didn't have the instinct to really shit on (laughs) any specific pick i was like some guys got climbed a little higher than i would have you know obviously we at the ringer obviously have been big fans of Tyrese Halliburton and thought he should have gone higher. Um, but I mean, other than, and you know, obviously there's the whole stuff with the Warriors, which I'm sure we could get into. Um, but I think that this draft was deeper in, in some respects than it got credit for in terms of, I think that there were more rotation 
ready players in it than people expected. And also, I kind of feel like its relationship with the coming draft, um, you know, I feel like we perpetually are in this state of like, man, just next one, next one, next draft, next, you know, we just are trying to look ahead. And I think maybe we, I think the balance between those two drafts has kind of, uh, it's, the gap has closed a little bit where I do think they're more like stars, not just, not that you asked me about this, but I mean, I think there's more top end talent, like guys in this right. one coming up, but this one had, this one just had more quality rotation ready players, I think, than it got credit for. And that's, uh, that's really played out. I, th- I think it was pretty apparent from the first, you know, month and a half of the season. No, I think that's 100% right. This draft coming up, I think, has four and a half, maybe, uh, like tier one, maybe tier two prospects. Last year, uh, Kaminga. Okay. I yeah. see that. Yeah. Um, the, the more I watch, I haven't really talked about this a ton on the podcast yet, but I did the draft guide profile for Kaminga this week. Um, did like my last run through of the ignite for Jalen Green and Kaminga. I'm going to have to do it again for Nixon Todd later on in the year. Um, but I really wanted to get through like the top guys for the draft guide early. And mm-hmm. when I went back through Kaminga, I just kind of think that they're the upside is real, but there is a, l- there are a lot more problems than what i thought kind of while just like watching the season and you know not not passively watching still evaluating but not necessarily doing like the deep dive into the fact like oh shit all this dude wants to do is spin back every time he gets into the lane like doesn't have (laughs) a combo breaker right uh yeah it's consistent oh shit like his uh ability to get to the rim and his athleticism he's not jalen brown he's not that explosive so every time he got cut off it was like either go into a mid post up or take like a wild weird floater and you can get away with that if you're like an unbelievable pull-up shooter and he he morphs into being a really good pull-up shooter it's really going to work and he's going to be a very high level player like very real all-star but if he doesn't get that shooting there like i mean like i I think they're this is like pure downside right like and i don't mean to uh say that he's gonna be this guy but like i think there is a little bit of jeff greeny stuff there yeah i i've i've been kind of trying to dial in on my like um this is like just really reckless spectrum for what he could be i had somebody i told somebody i was like he could be like a maybe a better version of like Al Farouk Aminu, that type of guy, like mm. the guy that like never he's somewhere in that spectrum to me. Like the the Jeff, I mean Jeff Green would be he's hung around in the league. I mean, say what you want for about sure. him. I mean he he hasn't really stuck in a in a in a context for more than what a year. I think I feel like he's been bouncing <laughs> year to year for a while now, yeah. but. Yeah, I mean, Aminu is it might jar some people, but I mean, he definitely has the upside to swing. I feel like he he's such a volatile proposition that that's kind of the spectrum that we're talking about. Like you'll watch him sometimes and just be really really wowed by him. Um, but 
in terms of his his gifts and things like that, I, I, what you were describing to me just kind of feels like offensive feel, like just in terms of his well, his bag yeah. isn't deep enough to to even ha- give him the vocabulary to be reactive real time as like a creative score. That's kind of the vibe I get from him. I'm always curious about his defensive upside when I watch him because um, I've talked a lot of lately on our show on Ringer NBAU about like four three switchability in the NBA. I feel like it's like a really valuable thing, especially if you can hit threes. Um, yep. He kind of, to me, falls into that mold. Um, it's, I'm unsure about him. I honestly, um, I like Scotty Barnes a lot. Like that's a guy I that too. I've really, I'd really, really like him, man. And I think that uh, he just, I hate talking like in this old world way about prospects, but I just have a good feeling about him. I don't know what, <laughs> I've been yeah. watching him for a while. You know, when I first started watching him, I was like, he was pissing me off because I was trying to watch Vernon Carey. I was like, who is this kid that won't stop shooting? But slowly it's like evolved into, I watched I like guys, I don't know if you think about it this way or not, but I like guys when I watch them over the years. Um, self-awareness of role, if I yep. can observe that happening in your development, that is very encouraging to me. Like a, like a guy yeah. like um, Precious Achua used to be like that, like used to be maddening to watch. A year later, he's totally bought into what he could be in the NBA and changed. Um, but Barnes has given me that kind of vibe too, where I'm just like, okay, if this guy's going to be like a really switchable defender, he's he was one of the most insanely efficient, like over the top playmakers in, uh, in ball screens this year in college. Uh, who knows how that could even inflate once he gets away from Florida State? Um, and I just I don't know. He seems like a worker. He seems like a real hooper, Sam. That's what he seems like to me. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I really like Barnes. Yeah, I do too. I like his potential positional flexibility a lot. Like, there are very few guys that I feel like you can, like, say that they are switchable one through five. Like, Scotty Barnes this year spent time at the point of attack on Jose Alvarado and Kia Clark and Carleek Jones and like real small point guards and did pretty well staying in front of them, sliding in front of them and using his length to swallow those guys up. He also just is six foot nine with a seven foot two wingspan and I think isn't really going to have a ton of problems switching kind of up the lineup whenever he's older he's going to be up to 240 pounds i think pretty easy at some point much in the same way that og ananobi has uh i i don't think he's as quick twitch as ananobi and i don't think he's as flexible throughout his hips and, and frankly like throughout his body i think that the best thing for scotty barnes would be getting with a trainer who can really work with his flexibility because i i think that that's the concern that i have for him is he can play very stiff and kind of upright while still using the athletic gifts that he has. I, I want to see him kind of kind of get to that point where he's a bit more flexible. But having said that, in the case of uh, in the case of Scotty and in the case of Kaminga, like this is a shooter's league. Like it's going to come down to how they shoot the ball you know, on offense mm-hmm. and what their role can be. Because if John Kaminga can't become a you know. 35% shooter off the catch and if Scotty Barnes can't become a 35% shooter off the catch I mean it, Scotty can play the five and you can short roll him and you can do some interesting stuff with him Kaminga's smaller and 
I'm less convinced that you can do that. Uh, even though he has a lot more shot making upside, I think than mm-hmm. what than what Scotty does, which is why he's going to end up higher on my board. But yeah, I'm with you. I like Scotty uh, quite a bit. I actually like Scotty most out of that group of like next guys outside of the mm-hmm. top five. Definitely, yeah. I I find myself in that situation, and I think that, I think what you were talking about with the right there was the, the key difference between Barnes and Kaming. Kuminga for me is um, I have some friends who are like Oklahoma City Thunder fans and I was like yeah I was just talking about them I was like if you ended up in a situation where you guys got Barnes I was like that would be to me that would be a big win I don't know that you could play Dort and Barnes together Uh, that would be tough but uh, yeah he's he's an interesting player Uh, we got I I like I could already tell it like talking to you Sam because we got on a major (laughs) digression about about something like that and you had no problem with it that was great totally it's Uh, great I love it but it's it's contextual to this draft I think because throughout this process or to this rookie class because throughout this process I've kind of said that I thought there were five guys that were better than Anthony Edwards uh or will get a higher draft grade from me then I gave Anthony Edwards, who went number one overall in last year's draft. I actually don't think that's the case now. I think it's going to be four guys that I have higher mm-hmm. than Edwards. Um, but speaking of Edwards, his tear over the last two months, realistically, has been really interesting to me, especially in the way that he's starting to work with Carl Anthony Towns. Uh it, it seems like Minnesota actually might have something offensively with that duo. I'm still worried about some of the stuff. Is he going to be a consistent enough shooter? Is he going to be a consistent enough defender? Like there, there's a lot there that could kind of change his trajectory in a concerning way. But where are you on uh, what you've seen from Anthony Edwards this year? Well, it's funny you ask because I thought about Anthony Edwards nonstop for like a month and a half. I was probably driving all my friends crazy that I talked about. about. I was like, did you, did you know this about Anthony Edwards? Is there's like Jesus Christ talk about something else? Uh, <laughs> but I did a video about Anthony Edwards, and my my style is just to go like all the way in. Like I I went I I'd watched a lot of the stuff totally. with Edwards, but I went. I went all the way back and I was like watching, you know, some of his early Under Armour games, like when he first kind of switched to the sport as like a sophomore full time. Um, I I have had um, a sort of a, a sinusoidal uh, relationship with Anthony Edwards. I, it's been like a wave that has gone up and down. I think that's the word. But, you know, it's been. I was really, really irritated with him for a while uh, at Georgia. I had kind of gotten it in my mind that this guy was just going to end up becoming like a mercenary journeyman scorer, like that was just going to bounce from team to team. Not that that couldn't happen eventually, but you know the the raw, the raw tools have been documented ad nauseum. You know, obviously insane, insane athlete. I talk about in the video that you know P three had him. I was talking with Eric Liedersdorf, the guy from P3, about him, and he was just like, basically, it was like... Shout out, Eric. Eric's just the best over at P3. What a nice guy. Great guy. Uh, Legitimately helpful, too. Yeah, one of the nicest people that I've talked to, like, in and around, like, sports. Such a great dude. Yeah. And so, and we were talking about Ant-Man, and I was... He was basically just saying it was like tier one was like Zion and then Ant and then Ant Man and then there was a gap and then it like so that's the level of athlete we're talking about and um, in terms of him as a player you know it's been 
he he's had some things working against him, you know. Obviously, everybody's had the COVID weirdness working against them. The flux of that. They've got a coaching change that happens in in February. They bring in Chris Finch, and you know Ryan Saunders is out. D'Angelo Russell and Carl weren't playing early in the season. I think that that's affected the efficiencies in his scoring game. But um, you know, early on, I was just kind of like, this guy has the the template to be a floor raiser in an NBA offense. Um, but his his efficiencies in terms of like being seeing the entire floor and mapping it as a playmaker, like letting his scoring interact with that. Um, he you know he so he shows flashes of like playmaking sense and things like that. And um, I thought that it could happen for him. Uh, but to speak to what you were talking about, um, you know, lately I do think that the changing up of the offense especially you know as it relates to you know Chris Finch's philosophy on how he uses big guys I think that he has benefited a lot from from Carl's shift in in uh, I can really hear my Kentucky accent when I say Carl but um I think that, th- that he's benefited <laughs> from that as a cutter Carl um <laughs> I've been kind of monitoring this all all season. You mentioned the shooting. Yeah. Um, Synergy has their like total jump shots statistics. Um, you know, he's he's. I'll say too, he's the most. I've I've had some Minnesota fans get irritated with me, and I'm just like, look, I'm. He was the number one pick. I'm grading him on that on that curve. Uh, he has a lot of potential. I'm holding him to a high standard. He's. Next to Jim Jackson, he's the most inefficient volume rookie scorer we've we've had in the three point era. It it just is what it is, and and some of that is like eliminating the types of shots that he takes. Yeah, uh, but I've, I've been monitoring this in the in Synergy's total jump shot uh, statistic metric thing here uh, in terms of players who have attempted at least four hundred jump shots. Uh, he is. In last place, still by a good him, him and Russell Westbrook are down at the bottom, and he's still five percentage points behind Westbrook. So it's a part of his game. We knew that at Georgia. We knew he loved the dribble pull up game. He's athletic enough to go get it whenever he wants. His deceleration is off the charts, insane. I mean, some I screenshotted some uh, some clips. I just took some some frames of like how low to the ground he gets. On some of his on some of his like uphill decelerations yeah. when he when he pulls back his dribble, I mean he gets almost flat. Like seriously, he looks like um, he looks like the centrifugal force uh, of like like a piece of clay like that has just totally <laughs> flattened out. So he's like insanely gifted in that way. But you know the pull up game, like you said, has been better. I think that he's he's been a little bit more of a dynamic scorer in the last month. You know his pick and roll reps have gone up and up and up. So they obviously care about developing him in that way. Um, I'm more encouraged than I was. It's kind of what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way. Um, I I think that he is interfacing with Carl in a way that's encouraging me. Um, the real question for me is, is is Russell. You know how does how is Russell going to play out in this? What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know how D'Angelo is going to play. I just kind of want to say a couple things about Edwards before we get to that. I think the big thing that has translated for him that we all expected to translate, but it's really important to see it have translated, is that when he does choose to drive, the way that he kind of changes explosiveness into power and power Mm -hmm. into explosiveness he initiates contact and goes through guys when he wants to. 
Like, it's not just like, oh, yeah, like, um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try and absorb a little bit of this contact here. No, he's like going into guys and going up through like real rim protectors. And part of the problem is he doesn't really have any craft yet around the basket Mm -hmm. for drawing fouls. But I think that that's the kind of stuff you can learn. Like, it's really, really hard, kind of like you said at the top here, to find guys that have this intersection of explosiveness and power that also have this level of body control and can decelerate, right? Like, Mm. all three of those things together make it so that if he ever does learn to shoot, (laughs) it's going to be curtains, I think. Like, it's going to be unbelievable if he really learns to shoot. But you're right. Like, right now, he doesn't shoot it well. Uh, He's taken 321 uh, pull-up jumpers this year in half-court settings. He's made them at a 28.3% clip. Like, that's gross. Yeah. That's really gross. It is gross. I went back, actually, and went year by year looking at the players who, who finished at that shooting volume um, 30% or below. And there were only like two or three examples of players climbing out of it. It was like John Wall climbed out of it and had a couple seasons. This is, I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. I think Ricky Rubio, usually if you shoot at that volume uh, early in your career and at that l- bad and efficiency uh you just basically don't get to do it ever again (laughs) that's kind of the way it works you're either like a top pick that they really need your high out outcome to play out or you just don't get the opportunity ever to do it again but i think you're absolutely right that like the the sort of template that he's shown in terms of like getting to the basket like his shot allocation has really improved from from georgia to to here um to, to minnesota and i think that the the free throw production is I don't I don't even know what cap I would put on it. Like he, he could he could become a major, major uh producer at the line for sure. Yeah, but just kinda frankly doesn't. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it's kind of maddening the way that he chooses to play the game, which, you know, it it, it is what it is and it's always been a problem. Like I was watching the NFL draft yesterday and I was watching the Bleacher Report coverage with Adam Lefko and Kyle Rogers and Akib Talib. And one thing that they said, they kept saying it over and over again, was you are in college you are in the pros what you are in college. And I think that that's like not quite true with basketball because college players in football get to the NFL at 21, 22 years old oftentimes, whereas in basketball they're getting there at like 19. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of interesting to think about it in the context of someone like Anthony Edwards, who basically has been the same guy that he was at Georgia last year. Like, he's been an inefficient shooter who takes a ton of pull-up jumpers, who can get to the rim whenever he wants. Um, Still needs to, like, develop some craft, but his explosiveness is just so real. That first step is unbelievable. His power to, um, like, leaping ability, that intersection is just tremendous like as soon as he learns craft i think it's going to be curtains but like at the same token can we count on him to learn that at this point like i i frankly really don't know uh i'm not I, sure i think that's that's the big question and i that the conclusion that i came to in my video is just 
for the types of players who come, I'm really fascinated in this idea of like players developing that spatial sense and that that spatial that broad spatial problem solving ability. Like I feel like, um, and I, I brought up this thing that I created for the video just the, for for to distinguish between types of pick and roll players because I feel like that's his you know his his ceiling is. Obviously, he could it, at his apex. I think he could have an offense built around him. That ideally, you know, if he was yeah. that type of scorer. Uh, but for him, you know, since he switched so late, you know, since he he didn't really. If if you look at the guys like the Lucas, the Lebrons, the Hardens, the Jokic, the players like that that have that level of of creativity that have that level of ability to flip their scoring gravity into creation. It's like how how often do guys grow into that level of player? Not very often. I feel like when, if you miss out on that that type of development, um, if you miss out on that that stage of your sporting career, some guys it it happens, you know, in another sport. Like they'll they'll learn that ability to play the game in like threes and fours instead of ones and twos. If, if you understand what I'm saying, like, I mean, like he mm-hmm. Ant plays the game purely in front of his face in, in when I'm watching him. Whenever I watch him play, he's like, I'm either going to beat my man here. Like if he played in the 90s, he would have got he would have scored 25 to 30 points for 10 years, probably and played probably yep. on a bad team for 10 years. But the game's different now. And, you know, help defense has kind of changed the way those types of players play. So I, for me, I look across the, the league and I just see. I look for guys like him and I'm like, what, what examples are there of guys accruing that skill set? Because you've got to want to do it. Like it's, it takes a lot of work. I mean, like Levine, Levine has shown some of that. He's grown into a guy who can, who can score and create some, I mean, Chicago's still struggling, but DeMar DeRozan, I feel like is a really good example. He's not as big as DeRozan. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Can you think of any other examples or you follow what I'm, what I'm getting at? Yeah, I do. Like, I, Bradley Beal's always been a much better shooter than what Edwards is, but I feel like that's the prototype. Like, if you're crafting a player for Edwards to watch and to try and figure out, like, while he's training, right? I feel like Beal is the prototype. Like, I I would want Edwards to bring a lot of the craft that Beal has in his game toward his own game. And Mm -hmm. in the case of someone like Beal as well... If you remember, like Bradley Beal has this reputation of always having been a super high level shooter, mm-hmm. just like kind of period, right? But he shot like thirty three percent at Florida that one year he was there from three. Like he was not some like dead eye gunner immediately. Now when he got to the NBA, he was playing next to John Wall. He kind of made it work, right? Like he was a thirty eight percent three point shooter from the jump, then immediately skied to forty each of the next two years. So I think he's always had more latent touch and shooting ability than what Anthony Edwards has had. But I think he also suffered from some of the same uh shot selection, like pull up stuff and pull up concerns that Anthony Edwards has. So if I was him, I, I would kinda if I was Edwards and if I was the people around Edwards, I would want to focus on watching how Bradley Beal went from point A, which was, you know, uh, averaging 13 points a night next to John Wall and, you know, shooting a similar percentage to the field as Anthony Edwards and uh, not really being a passer at a high level to where he is now, which is like, you know, frankly, probably one of the 10 best offensive players in the NBA at this point. Oh, yeah. 
I agree with you. And I mean, I, I was watching for this top 25 players thing that we've been doing for, uh, for that's going to be coming out on Ringer here soon. I was uh, watching Beal, actually. And Beal, I think Beal's always been a little, had a little bit more bucket getter gene in him than shooter. It, you're right. He kind of got, he got typified as this like coming off pin downs and taking 18 footers or being yeah. a catch and shoot guy, like a, a relocating shooter. He is those things. But he, if you watch the really amazing thing that to watch about him uh, is, and I'll, I'll tie this to Edwards, but like his economy of movement is so smart. Like when you watch Beal, like there's never a moment when I'm watching him try to. He he always seems firmly over his skis when he when he's attacking off the bounce. Mm-hmm. Like he, his hesitation is insane, and I think what we one of the more coveted skills. I, I want to do a video about this at some point. Is just I, I feel like deceleration in the NBA has become such a highly valuable zagging skill away from. Yep. You know, I, I feel like we just have so many uber athletes. Like your ability to keep people on the hook with your dribble. You know, obviously like. They're like ball skill things that go into that. Like, you know, if, if you you can have insane deceleration, but if you're not a great ball handler, you're you're not going to be able to fully weaponize it. But right. Edward, Edwards, for him to grow, I feel like in that way, for him to grow into that kind of polished, really, really efficient type of player, I feel like he's got he's got a lot of work ahead of him in terms of um just how how he's processing the game, not not just in his own scoring, but um, I guess just kind of circling it back into overall how I feel about him. I was looking too at his free throw attempts too. I mean, he's had some he's had some big ones, but he's had some stretches where yeah, it's like three 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 zero one, but then he'll have like eight five twelve seven. Um, I think he's got he's got a, a tough road ahead of him that he's absolutely in control of, but it's just going to be. It's going to take a lot of work. I guess it's just going to come down to how interested he is in doing that work. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think that's 100% right. And let's just kind of move through some of these other rookies. know that i want to focus too much on Lamelo because we're, we're going to get another viewing of him coming up soon like he's questionable for their game today uh or maybe tomorrow i didn't see when they play i'm not sure if they play today to be honest um but he's questionable so he's going to be back at some point for the last seven or eight games of the season i mean were, were you as excited about Lamelo as i was like i think he clearly was better than anything we've seen from Edwards this year. And like, that, that's no disrespect to Anthony Edwards. I mean, he's been on a tear. And uh, by the way, it's worth noting too, like we kind of shit on Anthony Edwards' pull-up game. Over the last 28 games since the All-Star break, he's shooting 33% as a pull-up shooter. That's still like extraordinarily low given what the volume <laughs> is. Um, yeah. Like genuinely among the players that have taken – in the among the players in the top 50 of pull-up shooting attempts since the all-star break it's like edwards emmanuel quickly um jordan clarkson who's been pretty cold actually as well um yeah and Devonte graham are the guys that are near the bottom of the rankings in terms of field goal percentage off of pull-ups so uh yeah in, in general I, I would say that Edwards has been better. He's no longer like historically bad. He's just like 
near the bottom of the league right now. And I feel like that's a more uh, more recoverable place to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, looking at it here, it's his his volume is is really really out of kilter with his with his with his efficiency. Yeah, like 80, 86 percentile in terms of attempts. So he's taking one hundred twenty two, and then seventeen percentile percentage. Yeah. You, you know, you want those things to be close to each other. You know, you don't want to be too high in attempts. It's something <laughs> you're not good at. Sure, uh, typically. Yeah, it's like I don't write a whole lot because I'm not like a great writer, so I leave that to our other. I leave that to our other writers. Unfortunately, yeah, of- uh, I do write a lot despite not being a great writer, and it, it just does not work out for me all that well. <laughs> <laughs> People, I, I disagree with you. Number one, I think you're a great writer, but I, I think. Uh, you know, people people are hungry for the details, and you give it to them, yeah, Sam. Um, I would say, <laughs> I would say, uh, with Lamelo, I mean, coming in, it, I think compared to our other draft people, I was the highest on him. Um, you know, I had done a video in 2019 about Lamelo before the NBL. Um, and I honestly, it had been the first time that I had ever really checked in on him in a detailed way. I watched a lot of Chino. I watched a lot of Spire. Uh, the Spire games made me want to dive face first into a bed of spikes. Like it was like they were the worst. Um, they were the, it was some of the worst basketball I've ever watched. Like, and I, I love Isaiah Jackson. Like, I mean, he's one of my favorite players in this upcoming draft, but I, it, it was just unwatchable. I mean, he wandered around like um, it makes me think of that Arrested Development clip where Pop Pop was like, "You were just a turd out there, like talking to Buster." That's how Lamelo played a lot of the time on that team. Just would kind of wander around whenever players would kind of step to him and like challenge him. He wouldn't come back, and so I was frustrated with that. But then you watch NBL, and it was like, okay, well, something I talked about th- that earlier in this pod, like about how. I really want to observe self-awareness in your role malleability, like your willingness to, to take it immediately. His interest level like was, was better. Now he was still like a really epically terrible defender in the NBL. I think he was like statistically the worst defender in the whole league. Wasn't he? I'm pretty sure you followed that. It was, it was bad. The numbers were pretty rough for him on defense. Uh, the, the on offs, I don't have them in front of me. The on offs were not, great it also didn't help that like when he went out the team like kind of went on a bit of a run as well (laughs) yeah so i mean some of that stuff you're you're really reading between the lines i feel like a lot of people who there were people that were really i mean to to really fully evaluate him and i think that's true with defense of young players most of the time i mean i i feel like you're really having to like use alchemy and your own kind of because the the metrics are just so tough to especially at those levels in the nba i feel like they've gotten a lot better with like you know second spectrum and and synergy but um i think for Lamelo, i I was really encouraged by some of the things that i saw in him i knew that he was the most offensively talented player in the draft for the hornets it was a it was a huge win because they were a team that really, really needed a drink stirrer to go with their other young players. They were one of the worst offenses in the league. I don't think that it was surprising at all that he comes in there and immediately is like, we can't keep this guy you know, off the floor. Borrego kind of busted his chops about the turnovers and the effort early, but you know, he's shored some of those things up before he got injured. Um, I had him in the range of, I thought that he would be just sub all-star, like at, at you know, 
I thought that he would be somewhere in the like 35 to 60 range as a player, like quality yeah. starter. Where did you have him? Uh, I had him number one in the class and about the same. I would have said like somewhere like 30 to 50. Yeah. So we were, yeah, we were kind of in the same spot. I, um, but I mean, I, I thought that he was overwhelming. I mean, he's some, of, some of his gifts are, were, I don't want to overstate it. Um, but that gives you an idea of kind of where I was thinking. I don't know. I, sometimes when I have these wild reactions to players, I have to spend a few days like pacing in my backyard to make sure that I haven't <laughs> gone too far, which applies to another player that I think we're going to talk about. But um, LaMelo is like one of the best live dribble passer handlers um, yeah. that I've ever seen. Like, I, I mean, like his his touch, his overhand touch and I think something that people don't always think about, I was talking with Combo. Do you know Combo at all on uh, Combo's Court on no. Twitter? Good guy. Former former pro player, has a good podcast. And we were just talking about the fluidity from shot to dribble. Like that's something about Steph Curry that people overrate. Like that that timing and sync and sync uh, synchronicity, sync, I don't know, between those two things is something that's really important in the speed of the NBA. And I think that like LaMelo's fluidity from dribble to pass um, is uh, for for a player his age, I I was trying to think of a player who was better, um, and I couldn't think of many, if any. Well, it's it's the rhythm that he plays with. It's yeah, he has this just unnatural feel for the pace of a basketball game and for like the pace of the way that he's supposed to play, and a poise and a patience and a comfort level, while also being while also being exceptionally reactive to the defender in front of him. Like, did you ever watch the movie Finding Forrester? It's been a long time. I know we have a mutual friend that loves that movie. <laughs> like, I, I don't. Like, I, I can't even say that I love the movie, like, having thought about it. Like, it's a white savior movie that is seemingly very problematic. Um, <laughs> that's, having, yeah, that's true. Having thought about, like, the way that this shit worked. But... There's a scene in it where, like, the main character is, like, explaining how he's able to, like, just naturally read the hips and, like, the belly button of a defensive player and understand how to react based off of that. And it feels like LaMelo is, like, the superhuman, like, basketball player in Finding Forrester, right? Who can (laughs) do whatever he wants because he has this unbelievable ability to read, uh whatever a defender is going to do in an unnatural ability to be able to get by that guy, uh, despite the fact that he doesn't have like incredible tools. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he's overwhelmingly uh, explosive. He's not overwhelmingly strong. Uh, he, He just understands in a very innate way how to get by guys. And then once he does, like you said, it's, he has an incredible, amount of control over the ball like that's why he's always been a much better prospect than Lonzo is just the live dribble game like Lonzo was kind of stiff and robotic in his movements Lonzo or LaMelo is fluid and it's almost like it's almost like AI versus an artist right (laughs) um like, you know, Lonzo looks like algorithmic out there in the way that like, okay, defender does this. I need to cross over now. Whereas yeah. LaMelo 
it's like defender does this i'm gonna set him up with two or three things and then go boom and then get by him that way like it seems more um it's just a lot more confident in that way so and that's not to say like lonzo is gonna be fine he's just not gonna be like a wildly high level point guard and that's okay he's gonna be an incredibly effective player but Lamelo is just kind of different, I think. So it, it's a fascinating kind of deal trying to figure out where Lamelo goes, and uh, I'm excited to see where these final seven games go. I'm excited to see him in what will likely be like a playoff setting, um, a play-in game setting at the very least, uh, to see how this whole how this whole experiment goes the rest of the way. Yeah, and, and I think what you're describing that Lamelo has an especially high. Um, almost, almost like a midi chlorian count from start. It's almost like that. Yeah. It's like his, yeah, his yeah, yeah. preternatural. There's, there's a thing where you know the effortless really is the result of like oceans of effort. You know, it's it's almost that Gladwellian ten thousand hour thing. I think that Lamelo. I made this up actually in my Lamelo, not to like keep referencing the things, but uh, that I did. But I for for him specifically, I had a kind of a eureka moment because I had I'd worked on something with him. Or I'd worked on something about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and it got me thinking about uh, development in general among players. And I was like, I distilled it down in the roughest. And some of this is sort of like learning, you know, behavioral science type stuff. But I was like, early in your career, early in your life as a basketball player, there are these like converging forces. And I, I kind of came down to it. I said, it's like emulation, like who you emulate, who your heroes are. Those are the players that are going to kind of, you're going to pattern yourself after them. Um, the other is education. You know, obviously who's coaching you, who's around you, who's teaching you, what type of teach a million factors. Uh, but then there's also experimentation. And I think that like the reason LaMelo has like Z, it's such amazing feel and like latency is a word I use a lot with him where it's just like mm. he is he's never thinking when you watch him like everything he's seen problems so quickly it's almost like when you like sit a piece of copy in front of like a seasoned copy editor they can tear through it quickly because they've seen the problems so many times and I, I think that with the ball in his hands he's so comfortable he's so used to playing fast he's so used to playing like a, a spread out game that that's why he has that that like um, I, I that's why he has that feel and that that flair and why he's so fun to watch and I agree I think he's lighter on his feet than Lonzo he's Lonzo's a little more explosive off his feet than people give him credit for but uh, Lamelo is no slouch in that way because he's just got a great feel for creating imbalance with that. That you know you can get away with not being super fast if you can create imbalance and attack it. It's why Chris Paul is still in the NBA today. It's because he's just absolutely expert at that. Um, and Lamelo is uh, he's he's fun to watch, man. He's been a joy. It sounds like you want to talk about Tyrese Halliburton a little bit though, and what you've kind of. I thought you were talking about Poku. That's who I thought you were going to bring Ooh, up. Oh, we could talk Poku. Uh, uh, everyone knows that I I love talking about Poku. What a what a bizarre player. Let's talk about Poku before we talk about Halliburton. Because okay, okay. I mean, are are you as like all in on the Poku like experiences? I am at least. Like, I don't even know if he's going to be good yet. I'm just in on the experience. <laughs> oh, I'm in for, I'm like neck deep in the experience. I mean, like I I watch him. He has become one of my like league pass guys. Like, I mean, it, it's there's always that inevitable thing because when you're trying to like herd all the NBA teams to like and keep up, water all the plants, 
you you fall into these traps of with players like Poku, with players like Lamelo, players like Zion, Luca, where it's just like on any given night, I'm like, would I rather watch you know Lakers Hawks or would I rather watch Poku play anyone? Well, I just want to see what he's going to do. He's moving into that. <laughs> <laughs> he's moving into that echelon for me of just in a different way too, because it's like I knew. I knew Poku was wild. Like, I knew he was going to be very off the rails. That's why I was really excited that he went to the situation that he went to. Yeah. I'm also kind of um, – do you think workouts would have would have affected where he went in the draft? I was just thinking about that the other day. The lack of workouts, do you think that that had much of an impact? Yeah, I do. I think that if he would have worked out for teams, he probably would have gone higher. Uh, having yeah. said that, I do think – so he's repped by Wasserman. I think that Wasserman, like – specifically kind of tried to keep it a little bit under the radar um yeah and maybe get him to certain spots like i don't know that they necessarily like needed to get him to oklahoma city i haven't talked to anyone over there that like um has any has told me that at all but i do think that like there was a feel of maybe like they they were comfortable with the mystery you know what i mean yeah yeah they they were comfortable yeah, with kind of letting it letting it play out in the way that it did. I mean, the, I guess the like where where I'm at on Poku is like I think that the downside has like disappeared for me. Um, <laughs> yes, his floor is considerably higher than what I thought it was because yeah, look, like I guess that right now is the floor, and he's shooting like. 33 goddamn percent from the field and like Mm -hmm. getting to really explore the studio space like in a um more cowbellian kind of way right uh (laughs) but like i just kind of love them like i i love the whole thing and it's it's a skill set that is unlike anything in today's nba almost because it's bizarre it's so bizarre there's no one that is this skinny that is this tall who can do anything resembling the things that he does like anything at all resembling the things that he does um the way that he the thing that's impressed me most is the way that he's adjusted throughout the year they started using him like as a ball handler and ball screens yeah and he really has started to like play with poise and started to like slow down and downshift a little bit and just be like calmer it feels is he's kind of diagnosing and progressing uh with his reads and what he should do and he's like some of the passes he throws like he'll drive like baseline and throw like a one-handed live dribble wrap around right-handed pass all the way to the cross (laughs) wing and you're just like who who the fuck does that like (laughs) yeah what was that yeah i routinely i routinely do this thing where like you know, Synergy updates the... They'll upload the clips as the game's going on. I've done that with him. I don't even know how many times where I'm, like, just refreshing, trying to get that play. <laughs> like, just g- give me that play. He, Yeah, I think... You're talking about, like, the role part of that. I think I was... I mean, I was soft on the idea that, like, that that could happen. I was just like, that's out there. That could happen. But, like, his, his like, the frontier for, like, 
possible outcomes for like what he could be if you're just being really crudely kind of putting players into boxes in a way that's just good for purely for discussion. But like, I mean, I thought that he was going to be a guy. I like, I I thought the shooting was sort of where I was starting from. I was like, okay, this guy loves to shoot the ball. He's you know he's he's somebody that moves like someone much smaller than him. He d- moves pretty efficiently and well for how for for his size. And shoots it quick, shoots it high, catches high, shoots high. I was like, I think that he could become a guy like that that could shoot the ball a lot. Maybe a wilder version of like a Michael Porter Jr. type of person. Because then I would watch him be weak side. Uh, I don't think he's near the shot creator, but I'm just saying like in terms of role. And then if you put him next to a playmaker. But then he was disruptive on the weak side defensively against grown men. So I was like, okay, well, you're, you're going to get a guy like that who can also – be seven feet tall with long arms on the other end. But the thing that's blown my mind lately, man, is like the passing touch uh, and the passing and playmaking feel uh, are off the charts. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know that the, I don't know that everybody's totally caught on to this yet, because you, you can't really take the the stats are so inherently flawed because of the turd that he laid in the beginning of the year. Like they're all screwed up. Everything has to be within the last couple months. If you're watching him and watching tape, you're absolutely right. Like he's like, he's starting to play with pace more. Um, he's, he had a play the other night where he like looked off uh, a strong side defender and moved the defense and hit. I forget who took the shot. It might've been Dort. It might've been Maladon, but, uh through a perfect overhand pass with touch, those things have like really, really accelerated. Like I was telling you, like I had to take a take a couple days and be like, is there are other people seeing this? Like because yeah, uh, the efficiency is the question now. You know, it's like it, for him to scale those things up. Yeah, and look, he might not ever be efficient because he might not ever get to the point where he's going to be like a high level shooter. Like, he needs, for what this game is, he needs to be, like, a very high-level shooter. Because, whereas, like, Giannis always had the ability to, like, convert, like, length power into length extension to mm-hmm. finish, uh, Poku doesn't really have that power to fall back on. So, he's going to have to shoot it at a really high level. I like the touch, and I love the fact that he's as confident as he is. If he shoots it at the level that like he feels like he can shoot it, uh, it's going to be <laughs> curtains. Because I mean, he's like taking like he's like going around ball screens and like shooting pull ups from twenty eight feet. Like it's nothing. Like he's he's yeah. super happy to do it. It's great. When you were saying uh, if he if he could shoot it as well as he thinks he could shoot it, so best shooter ever is that what you're is that what yeah, you're describing? Right. So um, like he he's like so the fun. most confident kid it's hilarious man so i'm trying to navigate all of my thoughts on poku without getting too excited but i mean like we did a redraft on the athletic earlier this week and i said i would comfortably take him at number four right now and i really thought about it like him versus pat williams was like a real conversation to me um i think like look they're the two youngest players in the nba this year i think they've both been pretty good um pat williams is kind of showing latent shot creation in a way that i didn't really um i don't know that i didn't expect but i I think that some of his pull-up game has been a little bit more advanced than what i thought uh he's Mm -hmm. gonna have to thin out as much as any like i think that like there might be some more explosiveness in there if he kind of thins out a little bit as opposed to playing like as heavy as he does but he might just be Mm -hmm. like a heavy-footed guy like that's a real possibility um the the floor is much higher for pat williams because he's just like able to 
be on an NBA court right now and like be somewhat effective. Whereas like Boku's like out there, nineteen, yeah, like running around like he's you know really getting to like. And I think that this is an important thing with Poku too is that he's really getting to expand and extend his skill set on an NBA court in a really important way that is going to be beneficial to his development. Like that, that doesn't happen all the time. Like guys don't always get a chance to fail on an NBA court and figure out the way that they can make it work on an NBA court. Um, James Wiseman this year, I think is an example of like, he entered a winning situation. Every time I watch James Wiseman, it feels like he is very worried about fucking up. Like, yeah, he has like the concerned look on his face where like the gears are turning very, very quickly and he knows what to do, but just doesn't always react that way because he's 19 years old, right? Like it's okay. But I think that because of that, it slows everything down even more, right? Because the gears are turning in that way. So it's like watching Wiseman has been frustrating this year because he hasn't gotten that opportunity to fail in the way that uh in the way that someone like Poku has where he's gotten to extend his skill set and fail whereas like Wiseman has mostly just like kind of gotten a chance to fail um in a very high yeah. pressure environment. Yeah, and I I think it's it's a tough thing too like if you're a certain type of player that like you know like I'm we're going to talk about Hal Burton but Hal Burton was somebody that you you knew you could compress his role because of his specific skill set you knew you could compress that and put that on any NBA roster because, you know, an interchangeable spot up pick and roll guy who's efficient and doesn't take bad shots. Um, that's, that's applicable everywhere. Like Wiseman came from a, a situation where he was, you know, I'm, I know I'm telling th- you things, you know, but like, I, like, you know, he was, a, he's been a high usage player his whole life. He's used to getting those touches. He's used to kind of, you know, and then he goes into a situation where, you know, his role is compressed and, his comfort I, th- I think it really upended his comfort level and then you also think about i think just playing with draymond i'm sure it can be really intense that's another thing because a lot of his interaction on court uh were like those little fulcrum playmaking passes where the ball quickly comes to draymond and draymond quickly throws it to wiseman there's not a lot of like hey make make decisions in this situation it's kind of like they throw it to him in a situation where he has to make a quick decision in a, in a, and I I think that really did up. I think you're right. I think it really did uproot his, his comfort level and his, and his confidence for sure. I guess it also doesn't help that Steve Kerr is coming out in the media and saying that uh, he's more raw than they thought and things like that. But yeah, yeah. like you drafted a guy who played three games last year, like after high school, like what the fuck did you expect, Steve? Like, I mean, come on. Steve apparently didn't want him, though. That's from what people say. That's uh, if if we're allowed to say that on your podcast. Yeah, it's weird. The whole thing is weird. Um, Yeah, we we wanted to talk about Halliburton. You guys have loved Halliburton this year over at the Ringer. So tell me why you're excited about Tyrese Halliburton. Because I am, too. He's been great. I had him at seven on my board. I thought he was underdrafted at 13. The Kings did great. Um, Why are you excited about Tyrese Halliburton? Um, I've always liked Halliburton and, and because of what I was saying that like, you know, you put Halliburton in a situation to he he can expand, you know, offense. He can expand into his role really, really efficiently and help just about any team. And I think he's a guy that could play with, you know, he's not ball dominant, but he can carry a load. Um, he can carry a heavy load on like a night, maybe a nightly basis. Um, you know, he doesn't, I think the shooting is ahead of where he, he got credit for, 
Um, I think the question with him is, uh, I, I think that he's interfaced with the NBA game really, really well because he's you know clever, um, a smart guy. Um, but I, I think the question for him is, is it possible for him to you know rocket over the ravine of um, being what he is now, which is sort of like his offense is pretty simple. You know, like his dribble pull up game is is pretty decent uh, i haven't looked at the number on numbers on that lately but um you know his middle game is pretty decent because teams play him and drop a whole lot i think that'll change as he goes uh but he shot it from three pretty well at different points in the season um the question for me is just like is, is it possible for him to if you want to be negative is it possible for him to level up and expand and where would that come from you know right now his his free throw generation hasn't been great um, I think he's he's going to have to up that. I actually haven't checked in on that in a little bit. I don't know for sure, but um, I don't know what where do where do you see him expanding his offense? What what is the simple implied thing about Tyrese Halliburton's offense that could become like this is such a problem that we have to scheme and stop this? I'm not sure where that would come from from him. I mean, maybe volume shooting, maybe. Um, other than that, I, I'm not totally sure. Yeah. I'll be frank, like, I I don't really see it, but that's okay. Like, I feel like the place would maybe be, like, he does take a lot of floaters, right? Like, he Mm -hmm. takes probably two floaters a game, something like that. Um, Maybe if he just became, like, a 55% floater shooter, and, like, he's not that far off of that. Like, he's at 49 right now. Um, I feel like it would really put a different amount of pressure on defenses uh, Mm -hmm. to where they would have to guard him in like a real tangible way. Because like, here's the thing about floaters, like Tyrese Halliburton has probably been one of the more effective players in the NBA this year with the floater, Um, you know, 49% on floaters this season among players that have taken 50 floaters this season, let's say, which not a crazy amount, like 66 guys. He's actually 22nd in the league. So like well above average in terms of uh, just the amount of uh, like the efficiency in terms of floater also has Mm -hmm. scored the 10th most points in the league off of floaters. So there are a few guys who have been, is effective with them as Halliburton this year, maybe like 15 guys in the league, but it's just a really hard shot. Like he's shooting 49% on those floaters and that's like, that's okay. It's just, it's not good enough to be like wildly efficient. You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a, it's a last resort shot unless you're Rashawn Holmes and shooting (laughs) 62% on them, which is frankly at his volume where he scored the second most points off of floaters in the entire NBA this season. Just, it, it frankly might be the most bonkers statistic in the entire NBA. Like Brandon, Brandon Clark's was pretty high last year, wasn't it? It came, it came way back down to mm-hmm. earth. I feel like he was shooting like 70% or something at one point on floaters and like yeah. all his shots were floaters. Um, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't at this volume. Like Rashawn yeah. Holmes is taking, which by the way, the fact that Tyrese Halliburton's taking two floaters. Rashawn Holmes is taking four floaters a game. Like, hard way to run an offense if you're Sacramento. But Rashawn Holmes is so good at them. I've never seen someone make that many floaters at that volume. Period. Point blank. And by the way, Luka Doncic is like almost the, almost the, like, tape sample that you want to watch if you're 
Tyrese because yeah. you know Luca's making fifty six percent of his floaters and is the third most points in the league off of the floater this year. So like I I think that might be the move become like a super high volume super efficient floater guy because like I don't see the crazy explosiveness I don't see him getting really good at finishing and drawing fouls. I don't know that I see him becoming like a hyper strong pull up shooter either. Um, yeah, you know, the, is taking a lot of pull ups, but I feel like a lot of them are like defense goes way under a ball screen, so I'm going to pull up or uh, relocation like pull up jumpers where guy closes out heavy, he takes one dribble, knocks down a three. Right? Um, I don't know that he's going to be self creating a lot of pull ups at the end of the day. So yeah, I feel like I feel like he's going to be one of the best role players. In the NBA. Yeah. High quality role player, yeah. Which you and need those two. Yeah. He's gonna make hundred and fifty million dollars playing in the NBA. <laughs> like he's which, gonna be I I told uh yeah, I was telling some of our guys, I was like, I I feel very strongly that he's gonna play on a title team at some point. Like I agree with that. Struck he strikes me as that type of player. Uh, I mean he might be the fourth best player and it might be ten years from now, but I just feel like it's gonna happen. I guess that's not that wild of a prediction, but uh he yeah, I mean, I think the difference between him and like some of the big time heavy load pick and roll operators like in the league is like I don't know that his body has the the frame to put on the necessary weight that he would need to slow the yeah. game down around the nail. Like I mean, I think he has the passing vocabulary. I think that he has the 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 feel to do that, but I just don't think that like when you talk about like him getting in and shooting more floaters, I love floaters, but you know, it's like, I don't, I don't think that like upping the volume is the answer. I think that it would be more upping the volume of the things that interact with that shot. Like, you know, Luke, the thing about Luca is he gets you in that part of the floor, puts you totally in jail yeah. uh, and, and, and draws fouls, you know, and then he starts pulling, you know, he pulls the, he's pulling the, the backline guy towards you. And then like, I don't think that he's he's going to be able to get to that level of chess. Um, I think it's more likely that he just becomes a crazy, crazy volume movement shooter than than that. But you know, you're nitpicking the kid, honestly, at that point because because he's no, already totally. a good NBA player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get out of here, I feel like I, we have to talk about quickly, or else Knicks fans are going to like just murder me in my sleep. And Kentucky fans <laughs> and Kentucky fans too, like straight up. Uh, being someone that watches Kentucky as much as you do, as far as you probably watched every game of Emmanuel Quickly's Kentucky career, I would imagine. Yes, I did. Yes, with great interest. Yes. Did you see? <laughs> did you see this coming in the way that it's translated? I'll say this. Um, <laughs> Whenever you have to start a sentence with, "I'll say this." Well, as someone who does it regularly, <laughs> it's. I'll say this. <laughs> I'll say this about saying that. Uh, no, I have to watch it because I don't want to come off as uh, a total asshole with this. No, I mean, I I was higher on quickly. Uh, I think the, the assumption people have for, for Kentucky fans is that they assume that um, they assume that we're going to overinflate or overrate. I mean, in my case, a lot of the time it ends up being the opposite. Um, I end up being maybe more negative or harder on the players with quickly though. Yeah. My my experience with Kentucky fans tends to be a fan base of extremes, I think is the way to put it. Like when things are going well with guys, there's nobody better. 
when things yeah. are going poorly, the sky's falling. Which is fine. Like exactly. It's, a lot of fan bases That's- are like that. I think that because of the excitement excitable nature of the Kentucky fan base, which makes it like, frankly, one of my favorite fan bases among the college schools. Um, Smart man saying that you're smart. Yeah, it can, (laughs) it can lead to, you know, overreactions, both in the positive sense and the negative sense. For sure. So for, so with quickly, I just say all that to say, I was higher on him. I mean, we did like a we did a pre-draft video where we were answering certain questions, and um, I got I got lucky this year because I said the two guys that I was most interested in that people aren't talking about were were quickly and Jaden McDaniel's actually, which I, he's another guy for another for another day. But um, quickly showed me things like the very I've said this on a, a couple different pods on Nick's pods. It's just the one thing that he showed me was two things. He showed me that he could aggressively ramp up his ability to hunt his shot and do it efficiently. He started doing that at Kentucky. I really wasn't sure how much he was going to be able to be a shot creator. Um, he he kind of won me over in that sense. The other thing is just that he how quickly he picked, pardon the pun, how fast he picked things up um, in terms of you know the college game. He grew so much in year two. Um that that made me think that I was I was hoping that he would end up on my prediction was I feel like he's going to end up on like one of these lower seeded playoff teams and play immediately. Um, I didn't expect it to be the Knicks is the thing. Uh, and also the other thing, too, is that like um, he surpassed even in my optimism, he has surpassed kind of what I expected. I thought that he would be playing fewer in a more limited role, uh, but showing glimpses. But the glimpses that he's shown. Um, have you exceeded the optimism that I had? So yeah, he's been really, really good. Um, really good for a rookie. He's been capable of playing in real closing lineups. You know, Knicks fans send me like the plus minus numbers all the time, just showing that like the Knicks are drastically better with quickly on the court. Uh, I think a big part of that is that Alfred Payton is like borderline unplayable, in my opinion, <laughs> and yeah. Tibbs continues to run him out there. But nonetheless, uh, the fact that quickly has been as good and as I I think that the thing that I didn't see with him and frankly, probably misevaluated at the end of the day was the ability to play point guard. Uh, He can play like a reasonable point guard at the NBA level. I didn't think he had near enough explosiveness to do that. But it's an example of what we've talked about a lot on the show where the ability to play at your own tempo while also getting places yeah is it almost exceeds the ability to just like burst and get downhill and do all of that stuff uh frankly i i didn't know that quick if quickly maybe i didn't know that i didn't know if quickly had even the requisite first step to be able to do that to where like he would have the ability to like get into that second level and play at his own pace, but he has, and I'm super Mm. excited about it. Like Knicks fans should be really pumped about Emmanuel quickly. Um, I I do wonder if he is a long-term starting point guard in the NBA. Um, Mm -hmm. What does it look like? But if you told me, yes, he can be a long-term starting point guard next to RJ Barrett, who takes another leap next season as like a distributor scorer playmaker. I would be, I would believe that 
as like a secondary playmaker point guard who can really just knock down shots, get into that floater game and not necessarily have to make all of the passing reads that, um, that he's still not all that great at. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, if you think about a team like, I don't know, like the nuggets, it, it really depends on where your playmaking hub is, you know, like there, there are teams that if you can, if you can really ball pressure, you know, I think that he, he has some physical tools that are a little underrated. He's got really super long arms. I think he's yep. pretty strong. Um, I could see him becoming a, a, a decent ball pressure person. I, and, and like you said, yeah, if he can shoot the ball with movement, especially, and then have that middle game, Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that he's going to be a star, but I think that he's in certain – there are a lot of contexts in the NBA, and, and there are a lot of ways to skin a cat, and I think that uh, he he absolutely could be a starter. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, carrying a crazy load, I'd be surprised uh, if that happened on a good team. But, you know, he's he's far above where I think – where I thought he would be coming into college, far beyond where I thought he'd be after year one. So yep. it's uh, it's been a, it's been an impressive ride for him, and it's – He's a good kid, man. I mean, like, I, that's he's he's a kid that I, I genuinely root for just because uh, good guy and and uh, good player, promising. Yeah, everyone I've ever talked to about Emmanuel quickly like speaks exceptionally highly of his character and work ethic. Um, every single person I've ever yeah. talked to, there's no bad intel on him. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. Uh, my last question: Who would be your all rookie team right now? Oh man. Let's see. Let's think about this. Here, I'll, I'll let you think about it while I give mine. Um, that way, you can get some. You can get some latent time while listening to me. I, I would go with Lamelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, and then there's really three for two spots. I think I would go one of or two of Sadiq Bay, Desmond Bain, and quickly. Uh, I think all three of them kind of have different positives and negatives i think that my my initial reaction was bay and bane but i think i mm-hmm. would more say quickly in bane as opposed to bay and bane I, I think that my final team is going to be uh the very clear top three rookies who are edwards ball halliburton and then quickly in bane would be my top five yeah i would lean i've liked sadiq bay quite a bit um yeah I, I think that I would almost lean Bay over quickly, just slightly. Um, I'm with you on on Desmond Bain. That was another one. God knows why he fell. Um, and Tillman's another guy that's been really good uh, for them. But yeah, and then yeah, there's like I, also I would, the whole Jay Sean Tate like wrench that gets thrown yeah. into this as well. Like I, I really like Jay Sean Tate, and as an Ohio State graduate, Jay Sean Tate is near and dear to my heart. I think he's near and dear to the Ringer's heart after. Uh, Mirren wrote that incredible feature on him. Yeah. I I can't get like wildly enthused about putting him first team all rookie on when like his entire production essentially has come on the back of this like nightmare Houston run where they've just <laughs> been like actively terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and he's 25. Not that we should hold that against him, but Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah that's I would I would differ just in the one spot there, but that that would be my pick. You you did not go quickly on your all rookie team. I want to be clear with everyone. This was not me. <laughs> this was Kyle Mann. Go find him at K E V I N O C O N N O R N B A on Twitter.com. Go find and him. Blast him. <laughs> I mean it's five spots. Yeah, people take this stuff so personally, yeah. 
Anyway, yeah. Kyle, uh, please tell me, uh, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people um, where they can listen to you, everything like that. You're going to find most of my work on the Ringer's YouTube page. So just go. I do stuff on rookies. I do stuff, historical stuff. It's all over the map. And uh, I host a podcast that is bi-weekly, co-hosted with uh, a guy named Kevin O'Connor, who I'm sure everybody knows, <laughs> and and Jonathan Sharks, too. And, um, yeah, and we – those are the main things that I'm doing. So you can, you can find those all on the Ringer Podcast Network. Uh, listen to it on Spotify. Do me a favor on that one. So that's I'm glad I'm, you shouted out – uh, sharks too, by the way, because yes. uh, yeah, John announced that he's going through uh, a cancer diagnosis and has gone through chemo. Uh, genuinely, you will not find a nicer human being that works within basketball than John Sharks. Um, every time that I've ever seen him in an event, he's smiling. Um, you will sit down next to him. You'll have just the most pleasant, nicest, kindest conversation. He's, I texted him like as soon as uh, I saw that he was diagnosed. I mean, just an unreal kind person who like just genuinely has like the best intentions for everything that he does in life. Um, Like never wants to like step on anyone's toes or hurt a fly, like just a a really good human being. So um any anyone that can send some good thoughts uh charks's way i think that would be good yes definitely charks charks is truly good truly genuine and and we're pulling for him this has been the game theory podcast please remember rate review subscribe Uh, i will be back early next week at some point probably with matt penny and we'll probably talk a little bit about some draft stuff i will also have a mock draft next week at some point we're doing the post nfl draft mock draft hype train kind of deal so keep it locked here but until next time we'll talk soon bye (music) 